Edvid Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day when people are trying to figure out what the voters were saying yesterday when they voted in 37 states all over the country and all across the country. Did they speak in a clear voice? On one issue, I think they did. Uh, but uh, we will get to that and what the big Democratic victory in the state of Ohio really signifies at a time when all of the recent polls have been very alarming for President Biden, leading to more and more calls that he should be dropped from the Democratic ticket. Uh, speaking of the Republican ticket tonight, tonight, the day after the election, the five Republicans are appearing on stage uh, together in Florida for the third Republican debate. There is a plea in the Washington Post from a conservative commentator asking people, please watch the darn debate because it could be one of your last chances to maybe look at uh, some of the alternatives to the ones that everybody talks about, Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Is that the inevitable lineup for uh, a year from now in November when we have our final presidential election? Well, it's going to be a more complicated lineup than that because Robert Kennedy Jr. is running for an independent candidate as president. Cornell West is running as an independent candidate as for president and there could be more. Joe Manchin, the senator from West Virginia, still apparently considering running for president with the independent no-labels operation. 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. There was one election that was held last night, uh, yesterday afternoon, and uh, that was the election to censure uh, Rashida Tlaib. Well, uh, she lost the, uh, the, the House of Representatives together uh, with 22 Democratic votes voted to uh, censure the, um, our Democratic representative from Gaza. She's not really from Gaza. Uh, she is from Michigan, of course, but she has family uh, who live somewhere in the West Bank, and so she sees herself as a representative of Palestinian points of view. Uh, she was censured for her extreme and anti-Semitic uh, rhetoric yesterday, and uh, we will play you some of the highlights of that debate. Uh, meanwhile, the, uh, we'll also be speaking to Mike Pompeo, the former Secretary of State of the United States. He's somebody who when you actually look at the record and and this is something that even how much of a democratic partisan you may be you've got to acknowledge that Mike Pompeo was a very successful secretary of state he has on his scorecard uh, some of the biggest advances toward peace in the middle east uh, with the Abraham Accords that he helped to structure under the cooperation with President Trump, who had appointed Mike Pompeo to be Secretary of State in the first place. Uh, he uh, will be commenting, coming right up on the Medved Show, about uh, what is going on in the Middle East, what should go on in the Middle East to finish this conflict in Gaza, because nobody wants it to go on indefinitely. 
and uh, and also his view of the political perspective and uh, whether he feels completely comfortable about having been in the arena as a potential presidential candidate and then withdrawing. Mike Pompeo coming up. And speaking uh, about candidates who uh, uh, really might make a difference in this country, We'll also be speaking to former Congressman, former King County Sheriff Dave Reichert, who uh, is the leading Republican candidate for governor of Washington. Now, we haven't had a governor of Washington since the 1980s who was anything other than a liberal Democrat. It's been Democrat, 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 Democrat. Do we have a real chance of uh, making a dent. Well, there were local elections in Seattle that seem to suggest that we do. We'll talk about that with Dave Reichert coming up on the Medved debate, on the Medved show. And we will also be speaking to Melanie Phillips from Jerusalem, who uh, is a British commentator on uh, world affairs. She's very prominent in Britain. She's featured... Uh, every week in the Times of London. And uh, Melanie Phillips talking a little bit about the end of the Gaza conflict and where that is likely to go and uh, whether the charges against Israel by the left, and it's very much so in Britain where they have huge demonstrations against Israel, and whether the anti-Israel sentiment here. Uh, should go unanswered by our leaders. Uh, Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, has been surprisingly solid on a pro-Israel point of view. Uh, Okay, basically, last night, the um, Kamala Harris, who, of course, is trying hard to try to boost her own standing. She should be encouraged. There was part of that New York Times uh, poll series of polls that they did together with Siena College showed that there were a group of uh, voters who would vote for Kamala Harris if uh, she were the Democratic nominee for president but who won't vote for Joe Biden. And that's like 5% of the electorate. It could make a real difference. So does she feel boosted by that? Does she feel boosted by the results last night? Here is the vice president of the United States, uh, clip 11. It was a good night for democracy. I think that if you look at from the midterms to last night, from California to Kansas, um, Ohio to, to Virginia, the voters said, look, the government should not be telling a woman what to do with her body. I think voters have been clear, regardless of whether they're in a so-called red or blue state, that one does not have to abandon their faith or deeply held beliefs to agree the government should not be telling a woman what to do with her body. And so it was a good night. And the president and I obviously have a lot of work to do to earn our reelection, but I am confident we're going to win. So thank you. Okay, again, quite natural after this election uh, and the final election coming up in 2024, uh, just a year from now, uh, which he's referring to, of course, is Ohio, which became the latest red-leaning state 
And Ohio is a solidly red state. It it won by uh, for for President Trump by eight points, a very comfortable win for President Trump in Ohio. And he won the first time in Ohio against Hillary Clinton by nine points. Uh, Ohio became the latest red-leaning state to vote in favor of abortion rights on the ballot. And by a large margin, it, a margin, it looks like it's going to be about 60-40 margin when the, all the votes are counted. The uh, voters of Ohio passed issue number one, which they're using the word everywhere, of enshrining the right to abortion into the state constitution. It's kind of weird to see the word enshrining. Uh, they're making it a shrine so that you can actually worship to the ideal of abortion rights. In any event, this will be established as part of the state constitution. The pro-abortion rights position has now won on all seven state ballot measures since Roe v. Wade they was overturned in mid-2022. Turnout was also strong in Ohio, suggesting this issue continues to animate voters. So what else did the voters have to say? We'll be talking about that. We'll be speaking to former Secretary of State, former U.S. Congressman Mike Pompeo, and more coming up on The MedVet Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. That's 1-800-955-1776. Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, still trying to make sense, everyone across the country trying to make sense of the election results from yesterday. Not all those election results are final, particularly in states like the state of Washington, where all the ballots are either by mail or they're dropped off at a ballot box in your neighborhood. But uh, there's the idea of the in-person voting and waiting in lines. And no, that's not the way we do it in this state. The uh, headline in the Seattle Times about the results in uh, Seattle, and I mention this because of all across the country, there weren't a lot of uh, Republican victories. Um, frankly, this was a good night. It was not a blue wave precisely, but it was like that. Uh, all of the important uh, high-profile races, uh, except for Mississippi. And you might say, except for Mississippi, Mississippi is about as red a state as you can find. It's a very Republican state. Uh, Trump won by 17 points in Mississippi. And uh, the governor of Mississippi, Tate Reeves, uh, held on. It was a closer race than expected. He was running against Elvis's cousin, Brandon Presley, uh, but the governor of Mississippi did win as a conservative Republican, but that's hardly a surprise. Uh, what What is something of a surprise is how solidly the more conservative, actually they're more moderate candidates, uh, won in Seattle 
city council races. The headline says in the Seattle Times, Seattle city council races show early swing toward moderates. Uh, challengers lead with more votes to be counted. And they report in the Seattle Times that early election returns uh, Tuesday night provided first clues at possible outcomes of seven city council races with moderate candidates leading in all seven districts, including races against all incumbents. Now, this is very dramatic because, again, most people don't pay enough attention to city council affairs to know which incumbents really need to be thrown out. They just see somebody's an incumbent, check. Well, this time they're throwing out the incumbents because I think people in the city are so sick of the crime. They're sick of the graffiti and the litter and the homeless encampments everywhere. In each race, the more moderate candidate led, signaling a potential shift in the makeup of the council. And uh, then it goes on among those ahead on Tuesday was Tanya Wu, a political newcomer challenging incumbent Tammy Morales, who is very far left in Seattle's District 2. Tanya Wu was leading by nine percentage points. And some of the leads for some of the moderate challengers were considerably more than that. Now, it takes forever. It's Seattle. And it'll be a while before all the votes are counted, but this is a very positive sign. Uh, not a positive sign for Republicans is that a very gifted Republican and a rising star in the Republican Party lost in uh, Kentucky, and he lost to the incumbent. And uh, it turns out that it's very hard to upset an incumbent governor. Uh, if you look across the country, generally governors who are running for a second term uh, tend to win. A uh, lot of states have uh, two-term term limits. So uh, third term, fourth term, I, people might be more vulnerable. But a second term governor like Andy Bashir, who's the Democrat, are likely to win. Daniel Cameron, who is the attorney general of Kentucky, uh, was considered a rising star in the state. And he had the endorsement of President Trump, who had carried Kentucky handily in the presidential election. But uh, the final vote in Kentucky appears to be for five or six points in favor of Andy Bashir, the incumbent Democrat. The Republican candidate, Daniel Cameron, who has a a bright future in the Republican Party, despite his loss, he gave an extremely gracious concession speech to Andy Bashir in the Kentucky governor's race. And uh, you can hear immediately why a lot of people think that uh, as a uh, leading black Republican, Daniel Cameron has a bright future in the party. This is clip 12. This was about future generations. And as I called the governor, uh, to congratulate him. I know from his perspective and from all of our perspectives that we all want the same thing for our future generations. We want a better commonwealth, one in which it can ultimately be a shining city on a hill, a model and example for the rest of the nation to follow. And so as I did with Governor Bashir, I want all of us to think about 
what these next few decades will look like. And I ask that you pray for Governor Bashir and his team and for all of our Commonwealth. Because at the end of the day, win, lose, or draw, what ultimately matters is that we know that Christ is on the throne. And uh, uh, the reference here, we know that Christ is on the throne. Bashir is also a very publicly committed Christian. He uh, and uh, his his wife uh, are both deacons at uh, their church. Uh, and Bashir's father and grandfather and uncle were all lay pastors in what was called at the time the Primitive Baptist Church. So the incumbent governor, the Democrat, also has a religious background. He spoke uh, this way, claiming victory in the state of Kentucky last night. Clip 13. My folks, this wasn't my win. This was our victory. It was a victory that sends a loud, clear message. A message that candidates should run for something and not against someone. That a candidate should show vision and not sow division. And a clear statement that anger politics should end right here and right now. Just, just look at what we were up against. Five super PACs. My opponent's super PAC. Mitch McConnell's super PAC. Rand Paul's super PAC. The Club for Growth. The Republican Governors Association. All running ads full of hate and division. And you know what? We beat them all at the same time. Uh, that's uh, Governor Andy Bashir, And it's, it's one of those things that uh, because of his victory, Democrats are suddenly discovering him. He's, he's very good on TV, by the way. And uh, he's one of those people who, uh, when they uh, look at the ticket of Joe Biden and uh, Kamala Harris, a lot of Democrats are feeling, can't we do better? And what about doing better on the Republican side of things and uh, doing better in U.S. foreign policy? We'll talk about all of that with uh, former Secretary of State Monk, Mike Pompeo, coming right up on the Medved Show. Medved Show. And on the Michael Medved Show, I'm very honored to welcome back to the show Mike Pompeo, who was the 70th Secretary of State of the United States, uh, following in the footsteps of the first Secretary of State, who was named Thomas Jefferson, as a matter of fact. And uh, Mike Pompeo was also director of the Central Intelligence Agency. He was elected to four terms in Congress, and he is one of the few American politicians, I think, who has the distinction of having graduated first in his class at West Point before his service in the military, and uh, then later uh, served as an editor at the Harvard Law Review for Harvard Law School, where he also graduated with honors. Uh, Mike Pompeo, great to speak to you again. And uh, right now, there's a lot of well, I wouldn't say excitement, but there is some interest in the Republican debate tonight. Are are you planning to watch it? Michael, I will. I'm going to have to watch it taped, but I will watch it. I've got an event this evening, uh, but I'll watch it. And I'll watch it with, with a focus on 
really, uh, who, who's serious, right? I, I, I oftentimes these things devolve into things that don't matter to the American people. I'm hopeful that between the folks who have chosen to run for the most important political office in the world and the, the folks who are tasked with keeping them on track, the moderators, they can have a serious conversation about things that really matter. Well, that debate is uh, uh, coming up tonight. Uh, President Trump will not be there. He will be 10 miles away in Hialeah hosting a rally. The debate tonight is 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, right now, one of the things, of course, they will be debating is uh, American policy toward Israel and uh, toward the Gaza war. Uh, right now, uh, the headlines all say that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu has uh, indicated that Israel plans for an indefinite period for security duties in, uh, in Gaza. Uh, they do not plan to reoccupy or to set up any kind of control but security guilt duties to protect against another surprise attack. Uh, do you think uh, this is the kind of thing that should concern the United States or that uh, President Biden and Secretary Blinken should be pressing uh, Israel to immediately clear out of Gaza? Oh, goodness. No, they, they, should, they should be pressing Prime Minister Netanyahu to do the necessary the complete and total decimation of all the infrastructure and the leadership of a terror organization that killed 1,400 folks, including, as I always remind people, a handful of Americans as well. Um, and the, the risk that Iran will continue this barbaric activity if Hamas is not completely eliminated is significant. And so what I hope the Biden administration will do is it won't be speaking to Israel trying to constrain them. It will be speaking to Iran trying to constrain them making clear to them that uh, there is no moral equivalence here. This isn't, a, this isn't a contextualized set of issues. This is about human decency and the rule of law. And uh, you, you barbarians violated that, and there will be real costs imposed on you should you do it again. I, I know you're very deeply uh, committed to the Republican Party. Right now there are divisions in the Republican Party about continuing aid to Ukraine. What would you say to uh, Republicans who say that uh, we can't afford it right now, we should spend the money defending our border rather than defending the borders of Ukraine? I was actually on Capitol Hill yesterday talking to a number of members, many of whom um, had, had reasons that they were concerned about continued U.S. taxpayer funding of uh, the Ukrainian military to push back against Vladimir Putin. I said to them the same thing I'd, I'd say to anyone who asked, the, the either-or idea that we can only afford to protect our border or only afford to protect America is nonsense. In, in this administration, President Biden, if we stopped funding Ukraine tomorrow, he wouldn't change a single thing about his border policies. We, we ought to go back to a set of understandings at that southern border that we had in place for the last couple of years of the Trump administration, which was pretty darn effective. Uh, and then we should do the right thing by the American people and ensuring that we don't allow Vladimir Putin to do precisely the kind of terror on Ukrainian civilians that we saw on October 7th at scale, right? We, we, we know that these aggressive, evil actors want to retake lands by use of violence 
and the, the United States stands for one thing, not because it's a moral principle, that's certainly true, uh, but because it's in America's best interest as a hard power matter. Um, we have to push back against that. The Ukrainians haven't asked for our soldiers, they've just asked for our stuff, and we should provide them the stuff to win, not the stuff that President Biden has provided to allow them to draw to a stalemate, but the things that they need to win. We know how to do it. We could certainly provide it, and we should have done it months and months ago. I hope we'll do it now. You, you, in addition to your service as Secretary of State, served, of course, as director of the Central Intelligence Agency. There are all kinds of new scandals involving some former employees of the CIA. Uh, would you, if pulled upon by either this president, uh, Democrat Joe Biden, or a future Republican president, would you consider coming back to the CIA to uh, help clean up and uh, improve the level of performance for that crucial agency in our security? Oh, goodness. Well, I've, I've never said no uh, when America asked me to take on something that I, where I thought I could actually make a difference. So if I thought that the president for whom I'd be working would give me the space and the resources to to make that important institution function in a lawful manner that delivers good outcomes, good information intelligence for America and our allies like Israel. Um, if I thought I could make a difference, there, I, I would certainly go back at it. Um, it has a group of people there that are dedicated patriots. It needs leadership that is not politicized. It needs to follow its mandate and it needs to make sure that everyone in the organization understands that it has a special responsibility to remain lawful because it does so much that doesn't receive public oversight because of the nature of the institution. Uh, you have a tweet uh, recently uh, that says anti-Semitism is a cancer. We must stand with the Jewish people against the oldest form of bigotry and hate and then hashtag stand up to Jewish hate. Uh, what do you think the United States could do even better in terms of standing up against anti-Semitism? I think there's a couple things, Michael. First, well, it always begins with moral clarity. Uh, we can't we can't gild the lily. We can't pretend. We can't say Ash it doesn't exist. We can't say that folks who speak about you know uh, Palestine being from the river to the sea that that's that's just normal language. This is hateful language against uh, a group of individuals uh, that have been persecuted for an awfully long time. A second, uh, we should be clear that the, the Jewish homeland, the rightful Jewish homeland, I saw. A spokesperson, Kirby, yesterday asked about whether the Golan Heights belonged to Israel, and he could not answer the question. My gosh, that, that's just nutty. Um, of course, it is the rightful place of Israel. Israel needs it to secure its own freedom. Uh, and so we have to get each of those things right. And when we do, um, we can begin to put America in a better place. And then finally, we got to take back the faculties at America's elite institutions. They, they have so been indoctrinated in the central thesis of there being only two groups, the oppressed and the oppressors, that when we look away, this anti-Semitism grows. And I, I think this didn't just pop up on October 7th. I think October 7th unmasked the anti-Semitism that was on our college campuses for a number of years now. Well, as a graduate of Harvard Law School, you are particularly... Uh, well positioned to to help with that uh, effort. Uh, Mike Pompeo, uh, his uh, his book recently was called a it was a New York Times bestseller. Never give an inch, fighting for the America I love. 
which Mike Pompeo has been doing all his life. Uh, we will be right back with more on the censure of Rashida Tlaib. The vote was yesterday. We'll get to that on the Medved Show. This is going to be a little bit provocative. The Michael Medved Show. Michael Medved show, uh, Rashida Tlaib, the congresswoman from Detroit, was censured by the House of Representatives uh, yesterday. And it was actually a surprisingly decisive vote. Uh, and a, a vote with 22 Democrats voting with virtually all the Republicans. It was a tally of 234 to 188. And on a House of Representatives that is so uh, finds it so difficult to agree on anything. That is a dramatic uh, a victory for the people who were in favor of the censorship, uh, the censure of uh, Rashida Tlaib. The, Tlaib's um, punishment was one step below expulsion from the House. Well, that's what they say in the news accounts. But, of course, censure really is just a black mark against your name and any candidates against her in the primary or in the general election coming up can use that censure but it doesn't really mean anything in terms of either removing her from committees or removing her from the house of representatives the three-term congresswoman has long been a target of criticism for her uh, views on the decades-long conflict in the middle east ultimately more than uh... Uh, 20 uh, Democrats, 22 of the Democrats joined Republicans last night to censure her after an effort to shelve the measure failed earlier in the day. This was uh, the way that uh, Congresswoman Taleb sounded on the House floor, getting emotional before the vote on uh, her censure. Uh, this is clip four. I can't believe I have to say this. But Palestinian people are not disposable. We are human beings, just like anyone else. My city, my grandmother, like all Palestinians, just wants to live her life with freedom and human dignity we all deserve. Speaking up to save lives, Mr. Chair, no matter faith, no matter ethnicity, should not be controversial in this chamber. Okay, she is not getting censured because she wants to save lives. Uh, she is getting censored for saying things like she believes the President of the United States uh, favors genocide, for saying that Israel's effort to, uh, to defend itself amounts to genocide. And to say, meanwhile, nothing about releasing the 240 hostages, including children as young as three years old, who have been kidnapped by Hamas. And uh, she went on, and uh, Representative Ilan Omar, uh, her fellow Muslim American, who uh, is also a member of Congress, uh, uh, Representative Omar representing Minnesota, uh, she stood in defense of Rashida Tlaib 
No surprise. That was clip eight. What is true here is that every single one of them has not acknowledged the fact that Palestinians are dying in the tens of thousands, but will continue to say it is us who are not acknowledging humanity. Rashida will stand strong. General lady's time has expired. Movement will continue for liberation until every single time has, expired. has the right G to gentleman live from Maryland is recognized. Uh, okay, <laughs> there's also a certain amount of emotion. And uh, she was also defended by another member of the squad. Uh, this is Representative Cory Bush from uh, Missouri uh, saying, well, th saying this. This is a clip seven. A lack of care and a lack of understanding and a lack of seeing the humanity of folks who look like Rashida Tlaib. It's outrageous that my colleagues are blatantly, blatantly attempting to silence the only Palestinian American representative right here. Um, it's outrageous, but it's not surprising. And let me tell you, it's not surprising because this place is where 1,700 members of Congress, this elected body, enslaved black people. It's not surprising because they thought it was right. It's not surprising because this is a place where members continue to claim that the insurrection on the Capitol just appeared to look like a normal tourist visit. It's not surprising because this is the place where our black and brown staff members repeatedly speak of experiencing racism and sexism, Islamophobia, get pushed off of elevators, xenophobia and more right here in this workplace. This is the place. And let me say this. She mourns for the 1400 Israelis. The gentlelady's time has expired. She mourns for the 10,000. And she she will not stop. No more. Time no has more. Uh, cease fire now. And she takes the, the death threat that you all send. That, that the gentlelady is no longer speaker. recognized. The gentleman from Maryland. <laughs> to hurt, to hurt the desire to save lives is greater. Gentle, gentleman from Maryland is recognized. That's what I said. Okay. The desire to save lives. Uh, when have you heard... Uh, any spokesperson for Hamas say, okay, let's have that ceasefire that everybody wants. But in response to the ceasefire, uh, we agree to release all the hostages. And uh, we uh, agree to a permanent ceasefire not to attack Israel again. They can't say that. They won't say that. And they don't believe it. They have said precisely the opposite. How does it save lives to give a blank check to people who say we will do October 7th again and again and again until they have wiped out Israel. How do we know that they believe that? It's in their charter, which they haven't changed. And by the way, when people are chanting as, uh, by the way, it's something that Rashida Tlaib has chanted, uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine will all be free. And then what happens to the 7 million uh, Israeli Jews who live in the state of Israel? And what is so ridiculous here is the misuse of words. And I have a column coming out on Friday that is precisely about this. Using, misusing words like occupation, apartheid, and genocide uh, in, in this particular conversation is outrageous. And uh, here is uh, Representative Debbie Dingell, uh, her fellow representative, Rashida Tlaib's from Michigan, defending her on the House floor. This is clip three. 
this resolution is an attack on that fundamental right. I spent all weekend in Michigan this last weekend talking to all the communities about the meaning of this phrase. And there are very strong feelings on all sides. And it's very clear that people interpret words in different ways. Personally, I choose not to use a phrase that is offensive to some and that many perceive as a threat. But I also take seriously living in a country that does not respect, restrict, Okay, how do you interpret the phrase from the river to the sea, Palestine will all be free, other than demanding the exile or execution, assassination of all of the Jewish people who have lived there for generations, not new arrivals, not uh, colonists, the indigenous people in that little corner of the world, are Jewish. The only time that Jerusalem has ever been a world capital, a capital of anything, has been when Jewish people ran the show under... The whole idea, from the river to the sea, Palestine will all be free. What uh, that means is that we're not talking about a two-state solution anymore. Mike Johnson read the Speaker of the House, read the final vote tally, and you'll hear the applause from the GOP side of the chamber. Clip six. On this vote, the yeas are 234 and the nays are 188, with four answering present. The resolution is adopted. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid on the table. Okay, that what's laid on the table is they can reconsider later. Uh, it's extraordinary because the idea that, uh, first of all, look, I, I, I've said leading up to this, I, I don't think that debating the censure of Rashida Tlaib is uh, a, an, an immediate priority for this Congress, which has now less than two weeks uh, to go before much less than two weeks. Uh, there are nine days to go before the government's supposed to shut down. And yes, all of this is important. And the debate tonight is important. It's on again from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 5 uh, to 7 p.m. Pacific Time. And it's on uh, NBC and elsewhere. It's going to be moderated by Lester Holt and Meet the Press moderator Kristen Welker. They'll be joined by Hugh Hewitt, who will be up there with them in this greatest nation on God's green earth.